It's already been good. Amen? It's going to get even better. This is our series, Beach Faith. We've been talking about what it means to find rest and peace in Jesus Christ and what that can do to our lives, how it changes us. You know, when it comes to me and water, I normally don't do very well when it comes to the pool. We go to someone's house to go jump in the pool and swim, and our kids are like, it's the pool! They're jumping in. And I, you know, I sneak up on it like the Pink Panther cartoon or something, you know. You know, and I'm coming up on it, I'm like, mm-mm, too cold, not going to do that for a while. And I'm like, Dad, come on, come on. And it takes me forever. I'm like, okay, well, let me just stand right here. Ooh, let me just stand right here, you know, for a little bit. And then I'll venture on out just a little bit more and just stand there for a while. And, you know, they're doing their thing, and I'll eventually get on out into the deeper waters. But it takes me a long time to get out like that and Man, that water just cold. I don't know what it is about me and water. It's cold. But the thing is, if you want to enjoy the water, you got to get out in it. Big truth right there, right? You got to get out into it. You have to leave where you've been and get out into the water. If you go to the beach, part of the point is to get out into the water. Now, you may not go way far out. You might just like to sit on the sand under an umbrella, but if you're going to get the full beach experience, you've got to leave the land and get out into the sea. You might go out gradually. You might dive out there, but you've got to leave the land if you want to experience the sea. You've got to leave this realm to get into that realm. And if you don't leave this realm, you can't get into that realm. You can't be on the sand and land and in the water and the sea at the same time. You see, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But he also said, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and not go with him. You can't say you belong to Christ and not take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. You can't stay where you were and claim to be in the water. You can't live like you've lived and claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Sometime you've got to leave the land and get out into the sea. Now, today we're going to see the sea. See? Y'all with me? We're going to see that there are depths for us in Jesus Christ. And though we might stand near them, Though we might look out at them, though we may be with others who have been out in it, the Bible says we have been given great and exceedingly rich promises. But the book of Hebrews says, I fear lest some of you do not enter in. You stand right on the edge. You come up to the water's edge and say, oh, this is really beautiful. This is nice. I'm just going to stay right here, though, where it's comfortable 
easy. I don't want to leave the land too much. If you want to get all that Jesus has for you, you got to leave the land. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4 today. If you want to turn your Bible, look in your Bible app, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 through 6. Peter is writing to some Christians who have come out. They have followed him, named the name of Christ. And as soon as they did, trouble started. Persecution happened. They started facing some rejection. They started facing some troubles. Things started not going well for them. And when it did, they got a little nervous about this professing Jesus and following Jesus. They started pulling back. They started not being so vocal. They started not being so uh, demonstrative about their faith. They started not making it known as much. They started pulling back and just trying to blend in. They started going back into some of their old ways. And Peter writes to them. Peter writes to them in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their pressure, in the midst of all the, the stuff that's going on, all the persecution they're facing. Peter writes to them in that moment. You see, they had they'd come up to the water's edge. They had felt the water. And Peter's saying, you're going to have to come out a little bit further. I know it means leaving behind some things. I know it means it's going to be a little difficult. I know you don't know how to operate in this new realm out here. I know over here on the land, you get to walk and you're all comfortable with gravity. But once you get out here in the water, it's all different. You see, you can't breathe under there. You don't walk in the water. You start to swim in the water. You start floating in the water. You do stuff out there that you didn't do back here. And Peter says, you're going to have to come on out if you want to experience all that's yours in Jesus Christ. So here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. Peter says, therefore, Christ, having suffered for us in the flesh, also you arm yourselves with the same thought. Now I'm going to break this down. We're going to chew on it before we move on. There's so much spiritual nutrition in each segment of the verses. Every word of God is powerful and alive. Amen? We're going to chew on it this morning. I hope you'll join me in a feast today. Peter says, you know that Christ suffered for us in the flesh. He came and he lived and he suffered in his flesh. He came to do the will of God and it did not lead to greater prosperity in this life. It didn't lead to a bigger house for him in this life. It didn't lead to more popularity in this life. It didn't lead to the most Facebook likes in this life. It just didn't. Oh, he had a time when he was popular. He had a time when everybody wanted to draw near. But when you follow Jesus, sometimes it gets on into a place of suffering, a place where you experience some struggles and some stresses. And, and Peter says, you've got to know that Jesus suffered for us in the flesh. And, and you're going to have to arm yourselves, equip yourselves with this same thought. You're going to have to learn a new way of thinking. You've been comfortable in where you've been, and you've lived a certain way, but I'm calling you into a new way of living. You know, that's what happens for you. The longer you walk with Jesus, he'll introduce new things into your life. And I'm not talking about just new things to do, like Sunday morning church and then going to a lift group as well. Ooh, Jesus is really challenging me. I'm talking about something different. That may be a challenge for you. But I'm talking about how Jesus starts introducing things in your life where he starts changing the way you think. 
not just what you think about, but how you think. So that when you see your enemy, you don't think about them the way you used to think. You used to think in terms of revenge and anger and hatred and resentment and wanting to get them back. But now Jesus is changing some things for you. Sure, he's brought you some places, but he's changing some things about even how you think now. He's called you to forgive this one who has offended you, to, to bless this one who's an enemy, and he's changing you. That's what happens. He starts changing even how you think. And Peter says, in this life, you're going to have to change how you think toward a specific subject that Peter's about to introduce us to. Let me make a big point here before we kind of move on here. It's our first big point today. Beach faith seeks the deeper waters of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Peter said, Jesus suffered for us in the flesh. Now, you're going to need to arm yourselves with this thought, with this way of thinking. You're going to need to venture on out in some deeper waters. You see, there was an occasion in, earlier in Peter's life where Peter had been uh, fishing. He was a fisherman by trade. It's what he knew, and he knew it well. He didn't need to have anybody teach him about fishing because he'd done it for a long time. He was like the local fishing expert. If you needed fishing counseling, you went to Peter. He was a guy that knew where to take you, knew where to go. Here's where the fish are. Here's the time you go, whether it be day or night fishing. You, you do what Peter says. He took you to a certain place. He knew where the fish was. The fish were. He knew where a lot of fish were. And so he would... He was the expert. But the Bible says there was this one occasion where Peter and the disciples had been fishing all night long. A lot of night fishing. And they hadn't caught a thing. I mean, they had nothing. Can you imagine the fishing expert? And he's got nothing from a whole night of fishing. So they're whipped. They're tired. They're headed in. They're frustrated. And Jesus says, hey, let's go back out for some fishing. What? Yeah, let's head on out there into the deeper waters. No, 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 no. Peter's the expert. Here's a carpenter telling him what to do about fishing. Into the deeper waters. This time of day? Are you crazy? That's not where you go for fish right now. I know what I'm doing. Jesus says, you're going to have to trust me on this one. Let's launch out into the deeper waters. And there, there'll be some fish. The Bible says they did. They went out, cast their nets, pulled them up. So many fish, they can't even know what to do with them all. That's what happens when you're willing to go where you aren't comfortable going. Amen. When you're willing to do what Jesus says do, even when it goes against what you have thought for so long. It had to just go all over Peter to think he was right, that Jesus was right, that this carpenter was right about where to get some fish and when to get some fish. But Jesus calls us out into some deeper waters. He calls us out into some new ways of thinking. If you want to experience all that he has, if you want to truly have some beach faith, you're going to have to be willing to go out into some deeper waters. Amen? Amen? amen. amen. Yeah, it's okay to say amen. In fact, it's good to say amen. Because you never know who around you is going to need some encouragement this morning to know that it really is real. Amen? amen. Thank you. So, suffer. Jesus suffered for us in the flesh. Peter says, arm yourself with this same thought, and here's the thought. Watch this. That he 
suffering in the flesh has been made to rest from sin. Now, you might be looking in your Bible translation this morning where this New King James NIV Living Bible, I don't know what it is for you, and you're not finding the word rest there. You're probably finding something like completed or finished, having come to an end. They all mean the same thing. When I have worked, when I've been out in the yard trimming trees and pulling weeds and all that kind of stuff, and we've been out there, and Heather and I have been working for a long time out there, and we're like, okay, whew, we're done. Let's go inside and rest, right? That's what you do when you're finished with what you had been doing. You've done this for a while, and now it's time to rest. You've done this, and now it's time to stop doing that and do this instead. You worked, you did your thing, now it's time to rest. This verse tells us that Jesus, having suffered in the flesh... He suffered in the flesh. He came here to this earth and he suffered for your sin and my sin. When he went to the cross, he had placed upon him by the Father the sin of man, the guilt, the shame, the horror, the ugliness. You know that feeling of when you've really blown it you know the guilt in that moment you know the fear in that moment you know the shame the embarrassment the regrets that in its fullest most ugly form was placed upon Jesus on the cross what you and I see in movies and depictions of the crucifixion and how ugly it is physically is nothing compared to what happened inside him. He was bearing the judgment for sin, the fullest, greatest extent of it. So when it says he suffered, that's what it's talking about. And he suffered in the fullest, most horrific way. But the Bible says he also suffered once. Once. He didn't come to suffer, to have to suffer again, and then again, and then again for each generation, for each family, for each individual, for the next decade, the next century. He, in that one moment, bore the sin of man from beginning to end. And he suffered once, once, that's important, once, in its fullest, once, and he also suffered in our place. He endured what we should have endured. He took what we deserved. He went to the cross as though he was the sinner so that all who put their faith in him might stand today as righteous as he is. That's what it says in the New Testament, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin 
that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So that when you enter in, you become like he is. This is the point where most Christians stumble and struggle. To believe the reality that the fullness of their sin was paid for and that the fullness of his righteousness was given to them. Now, I agree. That seems outlandish. That seems crazy. That's what the Bible calls grace. And you receive it by faith. So these verses here, oh my goodness, these are at the core of what it means to be a believer. He suffered in the flesh for us. But when he did, he, when he died, was done with it. His final words, it is finished. That's right. He was finished with it. Not to have to bear it again. Once in that place and finished. So when it said suffering in the flesh, he has been made to rest from sin. That's what it's referring to. He had come to the place where his work was finished. And he was separated from what had been. He was no longer on the cross. He was no longer bearing the judgment. He was no longer carrying our sin. He was no longer in the suffering state. He got to a place where he was made to rest from sin. Amen? amen. And he entered into the presence of the Father, seated at the right hand, and made to rest. He's seated. It's a place of rest. He was finished. Now, Peter jumps back and says, there's the big truth. Now let's make some application. Here's what he says next. In order no longer for us to live in the lust of men, but in the will of God in the remaining time in the flesh. He says, Jesus did that. So that when you believe in him, that you might no longer live in what you lived in, in the lust of men, in what was just natural to us. You no longer live in that, but you move on into doing the will of God. You come to a place where you are at rest and done with your past. You're done with living like you used to. You're done with going where you used to. You're done with talking like you used to. And you, you come to a place of newness in Jesus Christ. All things are made new. You come to a place of newness. You leave behind where you were. And you can't do both. You can't stay where you were and try to be in with all that Jesus has for you. You can't stay on the land and claim you're in the sea. You can't stay away from the beach and claim you're on vacation in the beach. You can't do that. You're either in or you're out. You have to come to some places where you draw some lines and make a distinction. You cut off some things. And you say to yourself, 
Now, now I belong to the Father. Now I walk forgiven. Now I've been made righteous. Now I belong to the the King of Kings. Now I serve Him. Now I walk according to His Word. Now I do things differently than I did before. Amen? Amen? Second big point. Beach faith intentionally, intentionally walks out into the depths of Christ and away from sin. If you claim to name the name of Christ, then there has to be some places in your life where you draw some lines, you make some distinctions, and you walk away from where you were, and you walk into now who you are. In the book of Romans, it says, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. I become like he is. I don't live any longer like I was. I don't keep doing what I used to do. I now do what he says I am, and I do what he says I should do. Death no longer has dominion over him. It says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, Romans 6. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, when sin comes knocking at your door, when guilt comes knocking at your door, when your past comes knocking at your door, you say, hey, hold up. I don't live there anymore. I don't want your mail. Stop telling me who I was. Stop telling me what I used to do. You keep reminding me of my sin, and I've been playing the game and going along with it. I've been replaying the tapes for a long time, but no more. Because my sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ, and he didn't remember them. I'm not going to remember them. Amen. Amen? That's what you and I are called to walk in. You get off of that sand of your sin, and you get out here into the water of forgiveness. You, you get into a new life, and you intentionally walk away from where you were, and you walk into who you are now in Jesus Christ. Peter's not finished with us, though. He goes on, he says this. For the time of life which is past is enough for us to have worried, I'm sorry, worked out the will of the nations. In other words, you used to live according to what everybody else did. You just went along with what everyone else was doing. If they were getting involved in something they had no business of doing, you're just right there with them. You want to be in, you want to be cool, you want to be accepted, you want to be at the in crowd, so you just keep on doing it. You start going places you got no business going, doing things you got no business doing, you just went with them. You just did the thing that you always had done. You just did what was natural. And the Bible says, if you've come to Jesus Christ, that's enough. That's enough. That time has passed. You've done that will long enough. And there comes a time when you say, enough is enough. Amen. I'm just done. I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired of, tired of waking up feeling guilty. I'm tired of going to bed not knowing even where I am, what I'm done. I'm tired of spending my money on stuff that I don't even know where it is anymore. I'm tired of the war in my head. I'm tired of trying to keep up with this group and this group. There just comes a point where you just say, enough. I'm done. 
I'm going to quit doing that. I'm not going to live on the fence anymore. I'm not going to try to please both crowds anymore. I'm not going to try to keep living by what's just natural to me anymore. I'm just done with that. Now, Peter's still not finished. Because Peter gets very specific about some sins. And this is the point in the service where it gets uncomfortable. I'll just tell you ahead of time. It just If you're a little uncomfortable now, you're about to really get uncomfortable. It just... Because the Bible and current culture, they don't see so well together. They don't sync up so well together. And if you're trying to live that way, you're trying to take the Scripture, and you're trying to take the world, and you're trying to somehow match them all up, you know it's not working. You're trying to fit two puzzles that have no business in the same box, and it don't work. And so I, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm just being faithful to what I believe the Word of God says today. And I'll just tell you up front, there's been some points this week when I've worked on this message, I've thought, Lord, I don't know. I'm really supposed to say that? Yep. Okay. We'll do it. So, I'm being responsible to my father this morning. I'm being a, a faithful Spokesman for God's truth. We continue on here. First Peter 4, it says this. Having gone on in lasciviousness. I'm using the modern King James. It's about as modern as it gets. I'll explain that in just a moment. Lusts, excess of wine, parties, carousings, and abominable idolatries. Peter gets real specific. Peter puts it on out there. That's the way Peter always was, though. Open his mouth, think later. But the Spirit of God's moving him here. Now let's break these down a little bit because the people in Peter's day, they were, they were still out playing with the world. Peter's calling them out. And he says, you've done enough of that stuff in the past. It's done. Enough's enough. Let's go on. Let's, let's come to a place of rest from those things. Let's enter into the deep water. Lasciviousness. It's a word for sexual immorality. It's a word for being unfaithful, being filthy, nasty, dirty. It describes relationships that are inappropriate at best, filled with sin, intercourse outside of marriage, before marriage. It's also a description for sexual sin like pornography, getting involved in images, places, Websites, conversations, jokes that have no business under the name of Jesus Christ. Places where the world just sees as just comfortable playland. 
But the believer in Jesus Christ, the follower of Jesus Christ, has no business there. And Peter says, I'm calling you out. You've done that enough. It's time to come to an end. It's time to draw some lines. It's time to come to a place of rest from those things. It's time to stop. Enough is enough. That's what they do. That's not what you do. It's not who you are. And you separate yourself from those conversations. You draw some lines in those relationships. You put some blocks on that computer. You put some protection with your phone. You do something to stop the flood because this is no longer who you are. You are now followers of the Most High God. He has life for you, but you'll never get out into the deep when you keep toying with stuff back on the beach. And it's time to leave. Lusts. Now you might think what I just described was lusts. And it's used to refer to that. But lasciviousness has this identification with sexual sin. Whereas lusts deals with appetite run rampant. Not necessarily even just referring to sex or immorality, but also food, anger, bitterness, jealousies, resentment. Oh, we could just go on. Whatever your flesh just lusts for. You and I were born into a world that is a world of lusts, where apart from knowing what Jesus has done for you, you'll search everywhere for something to try to bring some peace, some joy, and some satisfaction. If you're having the worst week, if things have gone horribly at work, things are not going well at home, you know this. You know there's a hunger inside for something to satisfy that pain. Right? And you know that for you, you have a place you go to for that. There are some things that are just natural to go to for that. It might be that you get around a certain group and you just start letting the boss have it. Or you just start letting somebody have it. And you're just giving over to whatever's going on. You're just giving in to whatever feels right in the moment. You're saying stuff you shouldn't be saying. Talking about stuff you shouldn't be talking about. Going places you shouldn't be going. You're just, you're just acting out. You're just living in, in the flesh. You're just doing whatever you want to do. You cast off all restraint because you don't care. Or because you haven't entered into the deeper waters yet to see what's out there. Right. You see, if you ever, you ever taste what a steak is like, grilled on the grill in the backyard, when it's 102 outside and you bring it in and there's a baked potato waiting, and you're, you're ready to sit down and eat that plate, when you know what that tastes like, you don't say, mm, no thanks, I'll choose spam. No one does that. I hope no one does that. 
You just don't. You don't choose some mushed up food byproduct in a metal can for a true thick grilled steak. You don't. Peter says, it's time. It's time to put that stuff in the past. Lasciviousness. Lusts. You, you get on to some new ways. You don't go in the old ways anymore. You don't go in the old patterns. You don't keep doing what you've always done. And then Peter says another one. He says, excess of wine. Now, this is one of those hotly debated topics in Scripture. How much can you drink? Some people like to quote Ephesians. Well, it says, do not be drunk with wine. So therefore, I can drink as long as I don't get drunk. Whatever line that is, I don't know what line that is. But I'm going to go ahead and take a different path here this morning for you. I'm going to take a different perspective because the Bible talks about a whole lot more than just that Ephesians passage about do not be drunk with wine. And I hope by the end of this conversation and message, you and I can still be friends. I'll just say it now. I'm not going to judge you for where you land on this passage, but I have to do what I believe I'm called to do. And if any one of you were to come to me personally and say, let's talk about wine and drink, what do you think? I'm going to tell you what I would tell you, but we're going to do it in a public format this morning. You see, in the Old Testament, there's also some instruction about wine and strong drink. And in particular, there are two groups that are mentioned early in Scripture. One were the priests. Priests who had been appointed to represent God to the people. To be the ones who were the, the place that people came to confess sin and bring their sacrifices for sin. And the priests were given very specific guidelines for how they lived. And one of those, go look it up, was that they were not to drink, period. Go look it up. It didn't say, priest, be careful. Priest, don't get drunk. He said, priest, do not drink wine. Period. There was another group, and they were kings. Kings. Men who sat in places of authority. Men who made laws for the land. Men who made decisions about the direction of the country. And the Old Testament is clear. Kings. Do not drink wine, period. It didn't say you can, but be careful. It says do not, period. 
And you might say, that's great. I'm not a king. I'm not a priest. (laughs) But I beg to differ with you this morning. The book of Revelation, write this down. Revelation 1, 5, and 6 says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, that's us, and made us, watch it, kings and priests to God and his Father. Oh, yeah. You didn't see that coming, did you? You didn't even know you were a king. You are. You sure didn't know you were a priest. You are a priest to God. Uh Uh-oh. See, right now, the atmosphere is changing. You're starting to think about some things here this morning. Spirit of God's working. Your head is spinning. You're talking about some things in your head. And all I can do is be straight with you about what Scripture says. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived by it is not wise. Oh, yeah. It's deceptive. It'll trick you. It'll make you think you're getting some peace. It'll make you think you're getting some rest. All the while, you're not. In fact, you're you're becoming actually enticed by it. It has a little bit of appeal to it. It's having a little bit of a fact of fact. In fact, I just you start taking it in, you think, you know what? I do feel better already. <laughs> yeah? But it's deceptive. Not just for what it is, but because it's causing you to trust in it instead of God himself. It's bringing you to a place where What you need is real peace. What you need is some joy. And you're settling for a temporary fix instead of more of a permanent change in your life. I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know what? I was really going through some struggles and my marriage wasn't good and my job wasn't going so well. Bills were stacking up, and you know what? I started drinking, and things just got amazing. (laughs) No one says that. No one says, you know, ever since me and my wife started drinking, our marriage has been off the charts. I mean, there's openness, communication, there's intimacy. It's just, woo! No one says that. No one says, you know what, my finances were a wreck. And I started drinking, and you know, it just cleared up. My bills, I paid all my bills off, no more debt. I just, I just don't, I got more money than I know what to do with. No one says that. No one says, my job got better, I got promotions. Ever since I started drinking, it's been amazing. No one says that. But I know individuals. I personally know individuals who started down the path that seemed so subtle, it seemed so simple, it seemed so manageable, and all of a sudden it started not being manageable. And their marriage fell apart. Their relationship with their kids fell apart. Pretty soon they were 
gone from church. Pretty soon they were far away and it started somewhere. It started in a place and they were deceived by it. Scripture tells me based on who we are in Jesus Christ, stay away from it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lean on Him. Get on out into the deeper waters. If you're standing at a place today and you say, I just need something else to help me. I just need something to take the edge off. It's not back there. It's out in the deeper waters. You're going to have to leave it, though, to get to it. Now, there are a couple of instances in Scripture where people were actually told to drink wine and strong drink. Did you know that? You're Googling those right now, aren't you? (laughs) In the very passage in the book of Proverbs where it says for kings to not drink, the very next verse says this. But give strong drink to those who are perishing. And wine to him who has, out of sorts, lost his way. He's hopeless. In the New Testament... The only verse you'll find where there's instruction to drink is Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, uh, I know you're sick a lot. Take a little wine for your stomach. That's what it says. So the people who were instructed to drink wine and alcohol were sick, depressed, and near the end of their life. So I ask you, what kind of influence do you want to have today on the people around you? You want to be the sick, dead, and depressed? Or you want to be a king and a priest? You choose. Which one do you want to be before your children? Which one do you want to be before your grandchildren? Which one do you want to be in your community? Which one do you want to be when you sit with coworkers? Where will you be? What will be your stance? Peter says, we've gone on in that stuff. It's time to come out. He goes on, he says, parties, carousings, abominable idolatries, parties where people get together for the sake of getting drunk, for the sake of acting out, for the sake of losing control. Now, please understand, this is not a law against having parties at your house. We love to have parties at our house. We have people over and we play games and we laugh and we usually, you know, we're just whipped because we've laughed so hard because the parties and stuff what we're doing, stuff we're doing at our house. So we're called to be together, fellowship, enjoy one another, and laugh and have a great time. But don't get together for the purpose of losing control. Don't get together for the purpose of seeing how out of control you can get carousings, gatherings where there's not just people acting out, but people being immoral, just really lewd, a reference to even orgies in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament. You see, when it refers to abominable idolatries, there were people who were even bringing all of that stuff into their worship of the gods. And Peter says, hey, That's enough of that stuff. Come on out. Here's our next big point. Beach faith. 
intentionally walks away from sin and out into the depths of Christ. you gotta, you got to walk away from it to go out to it. You might be saying today, well, I just... I just am not experiencing that deeper life. I'm just not experiencing all that that I, I, I want to experience. I just don't, I just don't, it's not happening for me. It's not going to as long as you keep holding on back here. You keep holding on, you won't get out there. At some point, you've got to let go. And you walk out into the depths of what Jesus has called you to. You will not experience it until you let go. Peter goes on in our passage. He said, in these things, they, the world, those who are still living in those paths, they are surprised. They look at you because you've chosen not to, and they're shocked. They're shocked that you're not running with them in the same excess of riot blaspheming. They're like, hey, buddy, man, you used to come out here and just run with us. Man, you just, you just do whatever we were doing. It was all happening. You were just like, you know, fussing about everything and blaspheming persons and gods and all this kind of stuff. What's happened to you? You're not the same as you were before. Something's changed about you. I'm going to tell you, that is when the gospel becomes real out in our culture. When Christians say, I'm done with it. I'm not going to keep walking that way anymore. I'm going to walk a new way. That's when they say, what's up? That's when they say, what's going on with you? That's when they say, you're not like you used to be. And you say, "Woo! praise the Lord. Amen. I'm not like I used to be. That's exactly right. I don't have to go to those places anymore. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. God's doing a work in my life. It goes on in verse 5 and it says this. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and dead. You see, those that you, you're running with, those who are still doing what they've always done and what you used to do, there's coming a day for them when they will have to give an account for what they're doing, who they are. And this is where it all comes together. It says in verse 6, For to this end the gospel was preached. It's for this moment when you separate from where you were and you're in the middle of it and they say, what's going on? And you say, let me tell you, for this is the gospel preached. Preached to the dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Here's what that means. These people who are living in this life and they've been walking in this path for so long, it's just what they do. It's just natural to them. It's just the world. But in that moment, they hear the gospel, and they say, I know what that feels like to be dead inside. I'm guilt and shame and cut off from God. I'm tired of that. I want to come to Jesus. I want to walk away from all that stuff. And they do. They step out, and the Bible says they are made alive in their spirit because God makes them alive. There's peace where there hadn't been. There's freedom where there hasn't been. There's forgiveness where there hasn't been. There's love where there hasn't been before. There's acceptance where there hasn't been before, and there's life inside. And all of a sudden now, they don't need spam anymore. But everybody who's eaten spam is ready to judge them for not eating spam. That's what it's talking about. That they might be judged according to men in the flesh. 
How come you're not eating Spam anymore? What's up with you? Don't you like Spam anymore? Don't you like what Spam does to us when we eat it? No. I don't. I'm done with it. This moment is what the gospel was made for. If you don't ever step out of where you were, you'll never stand out with who you are, and the gospel won't ever find its way to be preached in that moment. You with me? Last point. Next to last point. Beach faith sees their separation, your separation, my separation from sin as what opens the door for the gospel to be heard. This is where you, you've been on out into the deeper water and you realize, you know what? There's some stuff in this life that I probably could even do. God's not going to judge me for it. But I'm going to limit myself for the sake of someone else. Paul said it this way. I've been made free from all men, but I've made myself a servant of others so that I might win the more. You see, sometimes you choose to consciously limit even what you might think you have a freedom for. Because you want someone else to find freedom. That's That's a place of depth where you say, it's not about me anymore. It's not just about me feeling good. It's not just about me doing what I want. It's not just about me saying, leave me alone. I want to do what I want to do. It's not about that. It's about what must I do so that those around me can hear and believe the gospel. If that means putting some limitations on my life, then I'll do it. Last point, really. Beach faith, here's Jesus and steps toward him. Now this is where it gets real personal because I'm confident that God is speaking through his word today. We really don't have to ask for him to speak to us because his word speaks. It's alive, it's powerful. We really don't have to ask for his spirit to be here. His spirit's here. If there's anything we have to ask for is that we might hear and obey. That's it. So this morning, I know God has spoken and is speaking. The question this morning is, Are you hearing, and will you obey? Will you take the step? Will you step out into the water, even though it's different than where you've been? I realize that. But you don't get to the deep by holding on to the land. You don't get to the beauties that are in Christ by holding on to your past. You don't get there by holding on to your sin. Would you hear him today? And would you follow? There are some today who need to trust him for the first time. You're hearing this message today, and God's been speaking to you kind of in a different way. 
He's been pointing out to you that you have never received him. You've never chosen to follow him as Lord. And today, you, you almost can't stand it because he's, he's speaking to you so loudly. You just feel like you've got to do something. You do. You need to say, yes, Lord, and then you need to step out. I receive you as Lord of my life. I confess my sins to you, and I thank you that you paid for my sins on the cross. I'll follow you with my life. If you're doing that, you're taking a step to be born again. Some of you, God is calling to be baptized. In three weeks, we're baptizing right here. And we've had several already who've said, I want to be baptized. I want to make my faith public. I want it to be known that I am no longer who I used to be. I've been raised to walk in new life in Jesus Christ. And you're needing to take that step. There are others here today that God has put his finger on a very specific area in your life. Some sin that he's saying, it's time to walk away. Enough is enough. Receive the forgiveness. Walk in obedience. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. And I would ask you to respond today. We're going to have counselors here at the front. And I realize you don't have to leave your seat to make a commitment to Christ. But I'm going to tell you, there's something powerful when you do. When you step out, when there's some action to the belief, and when you say that to somebody, when you let them know, I'm making this commitment to Jesus Christ today, it confirms it. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is confirmed. You saying it to someone will lock it. It'll give you the power and strength that you've needed to walk in it. Let's pray together. And whatever God is saying to you today, I pray you'll hear, you'll respond.